Great is our Lord uh, to be children of the Almighty God. Absolutely nothing better and uh, always the best part of my week uh, being with you all. Now we're going on and continuing in a subject that just from the get-go, let's just confess is not that popular a subject. It's not that popular with me. Let me be clear. I like my rights. I like my privileges. I like my freedoms. And I like the way I think. I think I think correctly. And if you don't think like me, I think you think less correctly. And we live in a culture, just pick up a newspaper or look at it on your phone now, just read the articles that have to do with somebody standing up for their rights. It's the American way. And we're a country where we as citizens have more rights and privileges than anybody has ever seen in the history of mankind. And make no mistake, I'm grateful for them. This idea of giving them up. Some of you maybe get the sense, I'm a fighter by nature. Now, in all this, as we continue, because we're going to spend a few chapters dealing with this theme, it's a big idea to Paul. Don't hear me saying we don't lovingly stand for the values that we believe God promotes. We spent a whole summer series talking about that. How we lovingly stand for the character of God. And we will never not stand for the character of God. But when we're not talking about standing for the character of God, there's this biblical idea that Jesus promotes his glory through our submission. And I'm just going to tell you, it is not a popular idea. In fact, there are churches right now that have experienced numerical growth. They're not promoting submission. They're promoting, let's stand up and fight for our rights. It's the American way. Okay, so let's get into it again. I think Paul actually gets these ideas from Jesus. He said this, a new commandment that I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. This love one another is a big idea. Paul buys it. And he promotes it. We're going to spend several chapters in this idea. And then we're eventually going to get to chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Does anybody know what that chapter is about? He's building to that chapter, folks. The literary context, he's building to that. Paul's flow of thought. We're going back now most immediately to last week into chapter 8. As Jesus treasures, we will love one another by happily forfeiting the rights we have 
for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul tells these Corinthians who say, we want to eat the meat offered to idols because there's no God behind that idol, so the meat is actually harmless. It's innocuous. It's impotent. So it's all right to eat. And what does Paul say? You're right. There are no gods behind that meat. So it's okay to eat. It will not harm you in the least. Except that it might not be good for the weaker brothers and sisters who may misinterpret your eating that and get back into idol worship. And I love and I hate this principle Paul promotes. We can be right in our theology and yet wrong if we're not expressing it with love. And if we're not willing to yield May I see the hands of those who love to forfeit their rights. May I see your hands. Those who just find tremendous joy in forfeiting the rights you have, you even are right theologically and you sacrifice your being right. Some of you may sense that is not my natural tendency. Now to encourage us to live that way, Paul in the text we're going to look at today, and we're going to look at most of chapter 9, is going to use himself as an example. But if we miss the high level of thought that's going into this, essentially, we're going to forfeit some of our rights, even if we're right, for the good of others. We will miss the big idea of this text. He's going to talk about getting paid and clergy getting paid. I think it's a very relevant subject that we'll spend plenty of time talking about this morning. (laughs) But it's not really about clergy getting paid. This is about Paul now illustrating that he has rights in his life that he's forfeiting for the sake of the gospel. And we all go, oh, it's the Apostle Paul. Well, sure, he can live with that. Well, it's the Apostle Paul. That probably applies at least to the pastoral staff. I think Paul's actually saying these principles apply to anybody who treasures Christ. Certainly to the staff, but not exclusively. So we're going to look at three major ideas this morning. The first two from the text, and the third one is I'm just going to try and apply it. But Paul's going to make the case that he has rights. Specifically in the context today, the right to be paid. We'd like you all to pay attention on behalf of the pastoral staff to this part. He has right, because there are folks out there that I've had conversations with that think pastors shouldn't be paid. Now, I usually don't debate it with them, but this would be a text I would actually go to. But it's not the big idea. Paul's using himself as an illustration of how all the rest of us ought to live, being willing to forfeit our rights. So... We're going to move through a lot of verses here, so I'm going to explain what he's going to talk about in the verses, and then we'll look at those. The first thing, he's going to give his qualifications for being paid. He's an apostle. He's seen Jesus. He's brought the gospel to the Corinthians. Am I not free? I'm not a slave. I don't have to work for you. Am I not an apostle? Somebody who was sent out by Jesus himself. Have I not seen Jesus? Our Lord. I physically saw him. 
In other words, he's talking about the quality of who he is and the quality of the information he's passing on and the access he's had to the ultimate source. Are you not my workmanship? Aren't you the folks that benefited from my bringing the gospel to you? Aren't you the folks that heard about the life-changing power of Jesus? Your sins were forgiven. You were connected to God and reconciled to him. You know he's working for your good in all circumstances. And one day when you die, you're going to go immediately to be with him. He's coming back in a set of all that stuff. Didn't you get, guys get the most important thing there is in life from me? If to others I'm not an apostle, they may not get it. At least I am to you. For you are the seal, the evidence of my apostleship in the Lord. You guys are the benefactors of what I've brought to you. Huh. That ought to be worth a little dough. And going on in Building the argument now in the next few verses, after he talks about his qualifications, he's just going to talk about this general principle of life, that those who work deserve wages for their effort. He's going to talk about you deserve to get paid so you can provide for your needs, food, drink. I think we could put in there clothes, housing, all that other stuff. To provide for the family. Don't we deserve a salary, again, it's a pretty male-dominated culture, so don't take this too far, but don't I have a right to get paid, to, if I had a wife, to pay for her? To be paid for promoting the gospel, given. And then he's going to give three supporting illustrations, soldiers, vineyard workers, and shepherds. Now, this is my defense to those who would examine me, and this is a tough one to figure out. I think what Paul means here most likely is, in his refusing to take money from the Corinthian church, they're going, so you're really not that good of an order. You're really not that important and significant. Because that's what guys did in that culture. If they were good at talking, they built a crowd and they got money from the crowd. And the better you were, the more money you got. Now, he's refusing to take money. And I think most likely, some people are criticizing him saying, hey, you really must not have that much truth if you're not getting paid. His defense do we not have the right to eat and drink, to be paid to provide for our needs? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Don't I have a right to provide for my family if I had one? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Or are we the only ones that don't have a right to be paid so that we don't have to make money in another way? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? I'm an apostle. I brought you the gospel. And this is just a general principle of life. People who work, whatever the work, whatever the job is, deserve to get paid. He's still building this case that he has the right to be paid. It's a general principle of life. And God actually says you should pay spiritual leaders. I love this. No ox muzzling. 
Now, I've been called a lot of things. The worst thing is not an ox. But no ox muzzling. Two supporting illustrations. Notice this again. A plowman and a thresher. Do I say these things on human authority? I just gave you the principle of life. People who work to be deserve to be paid. But it's not only from there that we get this principle. It's from God himself. Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Now, is it for oxen that God is concerned ultimately? And he's not promoting here animal abuse, but he's saying, I'm talking about not muzzling the ox, but I'm really not talking about ox. This is a metaphor for you folks that aren't following in that closely. It was written for our sake because the plowman, another example, this is the fourth one now, should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, now notice what he says. Is it too much if we reap material things from you? And I love this last sentence in, in 12 here. If others share this rightful claim for you, vineyard workers, soldiers, plowmen, threshers, do not we even more? As he writes to the Corinthians, when you understand the, the consequence and the significance of what, you got the life-changing power of Jesus from us. I, Paul is saying, deserve to be paid for that. There's the general principle. Before I go on, let me give you a great sense of uh, thanks from the entire pastoral staff. We're grateful for your contributions to RCC. It has to do with our campus, our operating, a lot of things. But you do all understand the majority of it goes towards we pastors. And our philosophy around here is if some of us can be freed up from having to go earn money in a different way, our ability to focus on Jesus and this community of faith is actually good for the community of faith. The idea is that everybody benefits. I told you I got the best job in the world. You guys pay me to study the Bible and tell you to submit and forfeit your rights. How great is that? <laughs> so on behalf of all RCC staff, please be assured that we see this as a tremendous privilege that you are allowing us to spend our work time Focus on Jesus and helping other people experience the joy in Jesus. So Paul here begins by establishing his principle. He deserves to be paid. Has everybody got that? He's given all kinds of arguments, and now he turns the corner. Though Paul has the right to be paid, he's using his life again as an illustration. He tells that he forfeits his right for the good of others trying to illustrate the principle that we got last week in chapter 8. You remember with eating meat? Guys, this isn't about primarily eating meat. This isn't primarily about taking a salary. 
And this is not a popular message in the world. It's part of the way God gets glory out of our forfeiting our rights. Because quite frankly, nobody wants to do it without the power of God. I don't want to forfeit my rights. I like my rights. Paul's trying to give us a foundation and a motivation why we would actually happily do that. You ready? Now again, do as I say, not as I do. Let's be clear. Paul's using himself as an example. I am not. Let's just be clear. Paul wants to avoid putting an obstacle in front of the folks who need the gospel. I just want to be clear as we go through this. The other pastoral staff and I are living with the obstacle that Paul is trying to eliminate. Do you hear me? It's an obstacle he's trying to get rid of. We pastors are choosing to live with this particular obstacle. Verse 11, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share in this right claim on you, rightful claim on you, do we, uh, do not we even more? Nevertheless, this is huge in the middle of 12b, because now he's getting to the point. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right to be paid. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Now, what's the obstacle? I think it's fairly obvious, but I think it's this. As he shares the gospel, the consideration that Paul is promoting the gospel for his own financial gain. And therefore, the power of the gospel be diluted. As he changes, shares the life-changing power, life-transforming power of Jesus, and they look at him and go, oh yeah, but you're getting paid. A little bit of your motivation and excitement comes from the fact that you're getting a paycheck. Now, I said it earlier, and I mean it. It's why... For you all, when I'm with you and we meet especially an unbelieving friend, I prefer not to be introduced as pastor. My sense from 35 years of doing this gig, as soon as somebody, particularly a non-Christian, hears that, I get put in a different category than you will. Consciously, subconsciously, they know I'm making a living doing this thing. I'm grateful. But it often feels like to me, my picture on Christ, let me tell you, it's an extraordinary advantage that you as lay people have when you promote the gospel. If you're not getting paid, people don't question your motives. Now, it feels to me not as bad as it was 20, 30 years ago. A couple of things have gone on. One is we've got this, this secular media that's just exploded. I'm not sure there's such a thing as mass media anymore. But I'm old enough to remember when there were like three primary networks and when there were TV preachers, they were more well-known culturally than they are today. You didn't have all this social media. So when stuff happened, feels like to me 20, 30 years ago, everybody, I remember watching Ted Koppel, his most watched episode. Anybody want to guess? Ted Koppel. Who is on Ted Koppel's most? Yeah, you young people. You young people don't even know who Ted Koppel is. 
He's an old news guy that I really respect. <laughs> Most watched Ted Koppel episode for everybody over 40 years. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody want to guess who it was? Pardon? Muhammad Ali? Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. 20, 30 years ago, TV preachers that felt like they were after money were more prominent. I think there are guys still out there today. Let me give you a picture of one. The first one is, is Robert uh, uh, Tilton, and the second one is a more contemporary one. He's still going, is uh, Jesse Duplantis. That's a word. As surely as I'm speaking by the Spirit of God, that is a word for a person right now. That is God penetrating your heart. It's burning on the inside of you, and you need to make a vow of faith of $1,000. Oh, Bob, couldn't you say 25 No! You can't make a $1,000 vow of faith. I'm saying in faith. A thousand, I love that. people that don't have, teenagers that have no, hardly nothing going for them. They got enough faith to make a thousand dollar vow and send a little five dollars here and ten dollars there as God begins to move like a whirlwind in their lives. I've owned three different ones. Let me give you a great sense of uh, thanks from the entire pastoral staff. We're grateful for your contributions to RCC. It has to do with our campus, our operating, a lot of things. But you do all understand the majority of it goes towards we pastors. And our philosophy around here is if some of us can be freed up from having to go earn money in a different way, our ability to focus on Jesus and this community of faith is actually good for the community of faith. The idea is that everybody benefits. I told you I got the best job in the world. You guys pay me to study the Bible and tell you to submit and forfeit your rights. How great is that? <laughs> so on behalf of all RCC staff, please be assured that we see this as a tremendous privilege that you are allowing us to spend our work time Focus on Jesus and helping other people experience the joy in Jesus. So Paul here begins by establishing his principle. He deserves to be paid. Has everybody got that? He's given all kinds of arguments, and now he turns the corner. Though Paul has the right to be paid, he's using his life again as an illustration. He tells that he forfeits his right for the good of others trying to illustrate the principle that we got last week in chapter 8. You remember with eating meat? Guys, this isn't about primarily eating meat. This isn't primarily about taking a salary. And this is not a popular message in the world. It's part of the way God gets glory out of our forfeiting our rights. Because quite frankly, nobody wants to do it without the power of God. I don't want to forfeit my rights. I like my rights. Paul's trying to give us a foundation and a motivation why we would actually happily do that. Oh, you ready? Now again, do as I say, not as I do. Let's be clear. Paul's using himself as an example. I am not. Let's just be clear. 
Paul wants to avoid putting an obstacle in front of the folks who need the gospel. I just want to be clear as we go through this. The other pastoral staff and I are living with the obstacle that Paul is trying to eliminate. Did you hear me? It's an obstacle he's trying to get rid of. We pastors are choosing to live with this particular obstacle. Verse 11, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share in this right claim on you, rightful claim on you, do we, uh, do not we even more? Nevertheless, this is huge in the middle of 12b, because now he's getting to the point. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right to be paid. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Now, what's the obstacle? I think it's fairly obvious, but I think it's this. As he shares the gospel, the consideration that Paul is promoting the gospel for his own financial gain. And therefore, the power of the gospel be diluted. As he changes, shares the life-changing life power, life-transforming power of Jesus, and they look at him and go, oh yeah, but you're getting paid. A little bit of your motivation and excitement comes from the fact that you're getting a paycheck. Now, I said it earlier, and I mean it. It's why for you all, when I'm with you and we meet especially an unbelieving friend, I prefer not to be introduced as pastor. My sense from 35 years of doing this gig, as soon as somebody, particularly a non-Christian, hears that, I get put in a different category than you will. Consciously, subconsciously, they know I'm making a living doing this thing. I'm grateful. But it often feels like to me, my picture in Christ, let me tell you, it's an extraordinary advantage that you as lay people have when you promote the gospel. If you're not getting paid, people don't question your motives. Now, it feels to me not as bad as it was 20, 30 years ago. A couple of things have gone on. One is we've got this, this secular media that's just exploded. I'm not sure there's such a thing as mass media anymore. But I'm old enough to remember when there were like three primary networks. And when there were TV preachers, they were more well-known culturally than they are today. You didn't have all this social media. So when stuff happened... Feels like to me 20, 30 years ago, everybody, I remember watching Ted Koppel, his most watched episode. Anybody want to guess? Ted Koppel. Who is on Ted Koppel's most, yeah, you young people, you young people don't even know who Ted Koppel is. <laughs> He's an old news guy that I really respect. Most watched Ted Koppel episode for everybody over 40 years, you know what I'm talking about? Anybody want to guess who it was? Pardon? Muhammad Ali? Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. 20, 30 years ago, TV preachers that felt like they were after money were more prominent. I think there are guys still out there today. Let me give you a picture of one. The first one is, is Robert uh, uh, Tilton, and the second one is a more contemporary one. He's still going, is uh, Jesse Duplantis. That's a word. 
as surely as I'm speaking by the Spirit of God. That is a word for a person right now. That is God penetrating your heart. It's burning on the inside of you, and you need to make a vow of faith of a thousand dollars. Oh, Bob, couldn't you say twenty-five? No. You can't make a thousand-dollar vow of faith. I'm saying in faith. A thousand. I love you got that. People that don't have teenagers that have no, hardly nothing going for them. They got enough faith to make a thousand-dollar vow and send little five dollars here and ten dollars there. As God begins to move like a whirlwind in their life. I've owned three different jets in my life, and I and used them and just burning them up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some people believe that preachers shouldn't have jets. I really believe that preachers ought to have and go on every available voice, every available outlet to get this gospel preached to the world. If Jesus was physically on the earth today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey. Think about that for a minute. He'd be in an airplane preaching the gospel all over the world. So we don't take offerings around here, but today we're going to make an exception because I realize I would like a jet. So <laughs> now, I, I want us to be careful here. We don't ever play God where we know really what other people's motives are, so we want to be careful. But this is just the tip of the iceberg of what was uh, around 20, 30 years ago, and I think these guys are still around. They're just not quite as prominent today. But I will tell you, I have real questions about their motives when you're trying to raise $54 million for a jet. And I'm somebody that actually agrees with the general message that he's promoting. This is the obstacle that Paul's trying to eliminate. And I assure you, they weren't offering him enough money for them to consider him having an opulent lifestyle. Now, after he tells us he's going to give up, give up this right, for those of us who are not giving it up, the pastoral staff at RCC, I love that he goes back to one more reason why we should get it. Again, don't miss this. This isn't about spiritual leaders not getting a salary. It's about all of us being willing to forfeit our rights where God asks us to. And this last reason, he gave us a bunch already. Jesus said that's the way it should be. <laughs> Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service... Uh, idol-worshiping temples, the Jewish temple. I, I couldn't really figure that one out. Maybe both. Get their food from the temple. Again, another illustration, spiritual leaders. And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In this same way, the Lord, this is Jesus, commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Now, where is it commanded? I, I, I think the best place we can get that is when Jesus sent out the 12 in one instance and he sent out the 72 in another and he said, don't take stuff with you. Don't take gold and don't take silver. Don't take stuff with you. But go and preach the gospel and stay in those folks' homes and let them provide for you. Now, if they're not open to you, shake the dust off your feet and go someplace else. But I don't want you bringing money with you 
this principle is there, that those who bring this good news should be provided for by the folks that receive the benefit. Now he's going to go back to the obstacle, and he's going to give us several verses here, and we're going to move through this fairly quickly. But he wants to avoid putting an obstacle in front of the folks, and he's going to go on to explain. He wants to promote Jesus with no hope of financial gain. He doesn't want anyone to be able to question his motives in the very least of why he promotes Jesus. His motivation was always to promote the gospel as fully and as effectively as he could. And Paul always considers others first. These are the points and the principles that he's trying to promote through his not accepting a salary. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. As I justify why spiritual leaders should be paid, don't you all misinterpret it. This isn't a request. For I would rather die. Pretty strong language. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Now, we got to stay with it here. His boasting here is, this is all about Jesus, and it's not about me. That's what he's boasting. Now, look at the next sentence, verse 16. For if I preach... Uh, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. And he means here, in and of himself. I'm not doing this to make myself famous. I'm not doing this to make myself rich. I got no grounding but Jesus. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Now, I think we could take that. Woe to me. God's going to get after him and discipline him. I don't think that's the woe to me at all. I think the woe to me for Paul is, I met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he revealed to me that I thought Christianity was junk and I was wrong. Me, I was approving at least to the killing of Christians. And God came and told me about the reality, and I met Jesus, and he changed my life. And he forgave me. You want to talk about miracles? And he called me to be the guy that preaches the gospel to the Gentiles. And I was the guy in charge of trying to wipe out Christianity. You want to talk about a life-transforming power? It is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I can't do anything but promote the love of Christ. There is nothing better, nothing more powerful, nothing more meaningful, nothing more significant, nothing more joy-inducing. Can't do anything but promote Jesus. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. If I'm really doing it to make money, I'm going to get money. But if that's not of my own will, if that's not really my priority, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. I don't do this ultimately for my own personal financial gain or fame. I happily work for him. 
What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. There's the big idea of chapter 8. There's the big idea of chapter 9. We're going to go into chapter 10. What are you guys going to guess the big idea is? Don't miss this. Paul is spending a lot of time here because he understands this forfeiting our rights is not a natural tendency. And he wants us to understand how important it is. For though I am free from all, I don't have to work for them. I've made myself a servant, or it could be translated slave to all, volitionally, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew. Now, he's not contradicting his conscience. He's not promoting anything than the purity of the gospel. Here's what he's saying. I'm trying to meet people where they're at. I'm not pretending to be somebody I'm not. I'm not faking it. But getting this gospel out is so significant, I am always considering who that other person is. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak. Weak, this is a tough one. I think most likely those who are lower on the socioeconomic and educational rung. I think probably that's who he's referencing here. I'm not going to try and show people how smart I am and elevate that. That's not my point. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that I, by all means I might save some. I do it all. He's using himself as an example for all of us. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in his blessings. What a powerful illustration. And the only way to live this way, only way, is to have that beauty and glory of Jesus right in front of us. And from our experience of the joy in Jesus, this deep desire that other people share in it too. So, let me finish here with some principles that I think we can glean for how uh, we can live. All of us have the right to be compensated for our work. It's not the big idea of the text, but it is a principle. All of us have a right where we put that effort in. A paycheck is what ought to happen. We're never to be motivated in our work primarily by material gain. Well, at least pastors. I mean, it's all right for other treasurers of Christ, isn't it? Is money a bad thing? You've heard me say, I got it from my uncle. Money is a tool. Money is not good or bad. It's all it is, is a tool. I think the principle is that none of us 
even if we have the gift of making money. 